Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And here we go with the Bob Olin Show for a Tuesday. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. Uh, kind of interesting, that weather forecast. <laughs> Seems like uh, we love wearing so much and want to hang on for a little longer. Yeah, just like it has been the last several weeks, we've got a midweek uh, storm that'll bring us all kinds of uh, rain mixed with snow, and hopefully uh, not all that much snow, but maybe it won't last too long. We can only hope. <laughs> That's for sure. Is this April or is this uh, February? Yeah, it could be worse. They're expecting uh, some blizzard conditions in the Dakotas here over the week. So That's what I heard. But once again, we mentioned it yeah. in the past. Uh, Moisture is probably going to be a little short this year. Uh, hopefully not for us. We'll see what happens here, but we're not going to complain. We get a little bit more of a nice gradual snow melt. It's been really nice this year without the frost. Getting some moisture in the ground, that can be extremely, uh, extremely important for food production. And now with the situation in Ukraine, with 13% of the world's calories gone, uh, we're going to need every little bit of production we can get, including what we've got in our garden. Yeah, too bad that the, uh, I guess, ground can't just store up all this moisture instead of having it start to run off here. Yeah, well, it's storing some, of course, yeah. which, is, which is a good thing, but uh, we'd like a little bit more even distribution through mm-hmm. the growing season. That's what's <laughs> going to be really important, for sure. All right, well, we got a call right off the bat here this morning. Bob, you got a minute? Go ahead. Here we go. Hi, who's this? Hi, it's Barb from Duluth. Hi, Barb. Hi, I called a few weeks ago because a friend of mine had hostas growing in, in mm. terrible sun, all sunlight all day. And she's going to dig them up now and transplant them. But she wants to know what to put in their place. Something oh. that will take all the sun. Oh, they will take the sun. Oh, yeah. she's got, she has so many options there. Uh, most of the, uh, does she want perennials again, I'm assuming? Yes, and she has pointillas now. Oh, she has what again? No, I missed that. Poitentellas, three of them. Oh, potentellas maybe? Yep. Yes, potentella shrubs with uh, both yellow and uh, white flowers, for sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're very attractive. Actually, potentella's native. We see some native uh, up along the North Shore, so that's a good choice there. Um, You know, she would have any number of uh, potential additional flowering shrubs that could go in that full sun. Uh, that could be uh, things like one of my favorite nine nine bark, a really uh, beautiful shrub. Uh, some with some bronze leaves now. Uh, they're kind of overlooked, but they grow extremely well. If she's looking for shrubs, uh, wygelia I think gets uh, overlooked a little bit. We've got so many wygelia that are very very nice. But also in terms of some of the what we call herbaceous rather than the woody uh, flowering perennials, she has such a great choice of. Uh, of materials there. Uh, you know, we think of uh, uh, some of our real pollinator, uh, bee-friendly materials like Menarda, uh, Bee Balm. Uh, there are, uh, you know, any number of uh, sun-loving perennials that she could definitely put in there. But I think, as you mentioned, the hostas, and apparently she doesn't have a deer issue because uh, deer do love hostas, so she <laughs> she didn't, didn't have a problem there, which is great because they will munch down on so many of the other uh, perennial materials. But, uh, you know, we are going to have a, a list available. We're going to be doing something on uh, 
the 23rd of April here in Duluth, uh, our spring gardening extravaganza. We're going to be looking at uh, pollinator gardens. We'll have some lists of actually uh, pollinator-friendly flowering perennials that uh, many of them really do like full sun. So she's got some great options that she can put in there. Is that going to be on TV? Uh, we're doing that on uh, not that one. That one's going to be in person down at the depot for the whole day from about uh, 9 in the morning till 2.30 in the afternoon. But we do, uh, you know, we'll be cutting in different things on great gardening as well. We're going to talk houseplants this Thursday. Just finished up that segment for them. So uh, we'll have, uh, we'll intersperse a lot of what we're doing on uh, TV, and we'll talk some about flowering uh, perennials there as well. Okay, thanks a lot. I yep. appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Barb. Full sun, huh? Where are we going to get full sun when we got cloudy skies? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good point there, Dave. Well, eventually, I suppose we'll see some uh, sunshine. It's, it's it is definitely coming, and it's real interesting. Uh, Noah, the Climate Prediction Center is still staying to their forecast, <laughs> which, which is hot and dry for the summer. Uh, just like uh, apparently, like we had last. Year. Now, this is one time when I'm really hoping they're wrong. But uh, they were pretty accurate last year, and uh, probably were going to be uh, warm, maybe not extremely hot, but the warm and uh, warmer than average and dry is what they're saying. Well, I guess warm is good, but you want some of the moisture too, I suppose. We've got to have moisture, so we're going to one of you know one of the things, and we're we're starting off actually, and I mentioned earlier we're going to be heading to Mount Iron today. If people still want to register, you can walk in at this point. We should still have some space, but that's at the Mount Iron Community mm-hmm. Center. And one of the topics we're going to be looking at is, is resilience and uh, water management and how we're going to be uh, uh, approaching some of our warm season crops. Uh, full segment on tomatoes, full segment on some of the research I did on uh, growing these uh, colorful roasting peppers, the red and the uh, orange and the yellow and the purple peppers uh, specifically for roasting. We learned a lot in the trials we did last year and some of the research. And uh, they become uh, very popular, and for us this far north, uh, we've got to be a little careful with the varieties we select as well as the techniques we use so we can get them right. So uh, if we have a warm year, that'll be good, but the water, water management, what we learned last year is consistency of water uh, to all of our plants to make sure that uh, we don't get blossom drop, to make sure we don't get what we call blossom end rot or tissue decay from irregular moisture and lack of uh, calcium, Learn quite a bit about how to grow these plants, and we'll see if we can do it a second year and apply some of the things we learned. But we'll have some of that material uh, uh, for folks this afternoon at the Mount Iron Community Center. Starts at 1 o'clock. You can uh, walk in about 12, 15 if you like. We should be able to accommodate a few more people. Fantastic. And you mentioned uh, warm and uh, dry again this year. I suppose if you got to have extremes, is it better to be warm and dry than uh, maybe uh, wet and cold? Well, we've always... Uh, you can always I add water, you, I suppose, but it's hard to add the heat. You know, the, the ideal condition, if you have the heat <laughs> with the water, yeah. and that's why we have such tremendous production out in the southwest and in California, Salinas Valley. They've had all that water to irrigate with the warmer mm-hmm. weather. Same thing up in uh, the Willamette Valley up in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, where they again, uh, they get the rain during the winter, recharges their aquifer, and they're able to pump the water out. It's dry during the uh, growing season. But water is the key. And I think going forward, we're going to be very glad that we we get the moisture that we have in the Midwest here. And hopefully down the Corn Belt, go forth. I think water will be a critical issue, 
certainly looks like it's going to be critical this year and then into the future. So, you know, we'll be talking a little bit about the irrigation uh, trickle systems, uh, other parts of the world where water is much more precious than it is here. We've been just blessed with an abundance of moisture, and sometimes in the north here, too much, obviously, and uh, we bemoan that fact, but uh, I think it's going to be very critical going forward here, Dave. All righty, we'll take a break and be back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up here on KDAL. Well, Bob, it's Easter week, and I suppose there are going to be a lot of Easter lilies uh, purchased over the next several days, and we can keep those Easter lilies uh, a little longer than just uh, the Easter holiday, right? Hey, you certainly can. Uh, that's one of those plants that uh, when the danger of frost is gone, we can mm-hmm. definitely move it outside. Uh, bringing them back into bloom can be another uh, ah. challenge, and getting <laughs> them over the winter can be a challenge. But certainly uh, for the growing season, mm-hmm. I think you can definitely uh, put it out. It's kind of interesting how uh, very sophisticated uh, production of those lilies, which are so uh, emblematic of the season here and beautiful, and I see a lot of them out on display. But to right. get them, so they set those buds, and then to get them so the timing is just right, so those buds, beautiful flower buds are beginning to break just about this time in April. Uh, that can be a real challenge, I'll tell you. So uh, put them outside, enjoy them, but uh, don't count on them reblooming for you. <laughs> yeah, I noticed they got a lot of tulips, too, in the pots. I imagine those uh, could do the same if you could hang on to them for a year or so. Yeah. You know, the big the big thing uh, where we've got a bulb like that is we mm-hmm. really want, uh, want to be able to store enough energy down there. And one of the reasons that... Uh, most of our spring flowering bulbs don't naturalize, except perhaps for the, the daffodils, narcissus. Uh, they'll come back year after year. Oh. But the tulips, uh, maybe you might get a second year. Uh, you've got to have cooler conditions. So most of the field production is going to be out in the Pacific Northwest where they can have some very bright uh, days but cooler temperatures so they there's enough uh, additional sugar, extra sugar, so it can be stored down in the bulbs. So that's the reason why the Pacific Northwest and the Netherlands uh, really are major production areas. For us, we get them planted, and, uh, we, of course, that bloom is formed in the bulb the previous year, and then we get a nice bloom, nice display, and then we've got, uh, of course, the, the green leafy tissue, and uh, that green leafy tissue has to produce enough extra sugar and it, we can't burn it off at night. So this is where hot, dry can be very difficult mm. to get additional sugars stored so that they will bloom again the following year. Uh, quick thing, remember again that um, the, the, the deer just really do love those tulips <laughs> as they're emerging. Yeah. So you want to be just a little conscious, particularly in the urban areas. We've got a, a, quite a bit of white deer pressure yet. So you want to be make sure that they're protected uh, any way you can so you can enjoy those blooms. It'll be coming up uh, within a short period of mm-hmm. time here, I'm assuming, Dave. Yeah, I, it's more than just deer that like them, too, apparently. There's little critters that like to munch on tulips. Lots of furry little critters like <laughs> rabbits <laughs> yeah, as well. Right. So, yeah. All right. To the phones, we go again. Bob, hi, who's this? Hi, this is Marilyn from Two Harbors. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, I've got a question about Easter hydrangeas. Easter hydrangeas, okay. I got some beautiful hydrangeas from Sam's Club for our church, and when yes. we're done using them, can I plant them outside? They say they're indoor-outdoor. You definitely can plant them. Now, uh, the hydrangeas, again, uh, they become very popular. Are these uh, purple or are they pink? Pink. They're pink. They're going to be beautiful for your Easter display. 
Uh, you know, they've, uh, they've, of course, grown those in greenhouses at this particular time, and, and the flowering is set just for this time of year. The thing I cannot guarantee is uh, just how hardy these varieties are going to be. We've got many hydrangeas uh, that will do extremely well for us. Uh, and, um, you know, there's been a new series out there that uh, have become extremely popular, but it's hardiness that we're always concerned about here. So I would say I don't know, you know, what varieties are actually selecting for these uh, short stature and magnificent blooms that they've got right now, and I, I kind of suspect that they may not really be uh, – as hardy as we'd like. So many of those new ones just don't do that well for us or those that have been selected just for this early spring bloom. Give them a try. Are they going to grow? Definitely they're going to grow outside. I try to encourage them, and then um, we'll just have to see. You might want to even try to mulch some of them uh, to bring them through the winter, and maybe with a good straw mulch uh, we get through the winter and they could bloom for us again next year. Well, it's worth a try anyway. <laughs> Definitely worth a try, and uh, I kind of commend you. The colors are spectacular, aren't they? Oh, gorgeous. We also have some blue-purple ones, I just remembered also. Does that make a difference? Uh, no, probably won't make a difference. Sometimes those can be the same varieties. The interesting thing about hydrangeas is that under acidic conditions, uh, many of them will bloom with a, a purple or a yellow or a um, a blue or a lavender bloom, and then when we raise the pH, we get a more basic soil, we get the pink bloom. Sometimes, oftentimes, out of the same exact plant, it all depends on what the acidity of the soil is we're growing it in. So they're able to manipulate and control that pretty well in a greenhouse setting as well. That's why they can kind of uh, give you both of those, and actually both of those colors are, are very prevalent this time of year, very attractive, and they can come from the same plant depending on how you adjust the pH and grow the plant. Well, I'm going to give it a try anyway and see what happens. <laughs> Marilyn, you do that. Uh, appreciate the call. Hydrangeas, great plants. We always suggest people start perhaps with some of the old-fashioned, the PGs and others. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the snowball bushes. Start with the old-fashioned varieties and then move into some of our newer uh, varieties that are becoming very popular. But always consider with those. Uh, consider winter hardiness because we got to get them through the winter so that they uh, they bloom for us. Okay, thank you for the advice. Thank you, yep. Marilyn. Thank Thanks you for the call. call. Yeah, nine thirty-two. That kind of a I think that goes along with gardening. Is it's worth a try? Just about anything. <laughs> Give it a shot and see what happens. Yeah, well, that's right. And actually, you know, I think it, it's rather remarkable. Uh, plants are quite resilient, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we are a little farther north. And we're going to do, on one of our sessions, going to do a, a talk on bee lawns. And I find out so many of the bee lawn mixes where we're trying to get low-stature uh, flowering plants for the native bees and the pollinators. Pollinators are a big, big issue, uh, particularly for gardeners, urban gardeners. I think it's a real good thing. Uh, we need those insect pollinators to pollinate a lot of our fruit crops. And uh, But what we're finding is a lot of the mixes were developed for the Twin Cities or points farther south, and uh, we're probably going to have to come up with some of our own mixes and do some of our own work up here in Zone, zone 4 if you're near the lake or if you're um, over in the Bayfield area. I know we've got folks over in Washburn to listen. Um, you get a little bit more protection from Lake Spear there, and you're going to be able to get away with some of the uh, traditional mixes but some of the others if you're zone three we're going to look at white clover 
and uh, overseed with that and uh, maybe let it go at that. Try to get one species in there that we know is going to be hardy for us, Dave. Well, I wonder if we got any budding going on in the trees yet. I have yet to see any, to tell you the truth. Yeah, they've been pretty tight. It's pretty amazing <laughs> to me. Uh, I collect a little sap just for fun. Oh, yeah. Some of the maples. And uh, most of the maple uh, buds, at least up over the hill, are mm-hmm. tight yet. So this is very unusual uh, this late because we're coming into, gee, we're coming into mid-April. Right. right? And uh, sap is still flowing. I was told as of yesterday and in many areas still flowing. Got a cold period coming up here. And it may go for another week or so. So it's been very, very interesting, Dave. All right. Well, it's good to hear that uh, folks are getting maple syrup out of the deal anyway. They are. And I know a lot of our local, uh, we've got a pretty, pretty substantial local syrup industry, mm-hmm. which is kind of uh, kind of interesting. A lot of that marketed through the Duluth Farmers Market. And a lot of folks there uh, do that commercially on a, on a little bit larger scale, for sure. All right. We'll take another break and be back. More of the Bob Olin Show, 934 now at KDAO. Well, busy time of the year for you, Bob. You've got a show coming up uh, later today, I guess, in Mountain Iron, and then in Duluth, uh, when? Later in the month? And that's going to be up later. It's going to be a full Saturday. That'll be mm-hmm. April 23rd, our spring gardening extravaganza. That day is so full. I hope we get through <laughs> everything. We're developing a lot of new content. Uh, and at both sessions, we've. Um, I want to thank uh, the Youth in Action group. We've got a young uh, group of young folks that helped us repack sunflower seeds. So at today's... Uh, uh, session in Mount Iron as well as down at um, the Spring Gardening Extravaganza in Duluth. Everyone's going to get three types of sunflower seed. I want to just mention this, and we're doing this, of course, uh, a little bit of support for the Ukrainian people. Such a difficult situation going on over there right now. But um, sunflowers, you know, are magnificent. Uh, they We've got so many new varieties out there, and I just want to caution people because I think more people will be planting sunflowers this year than ever, um, you want pollinators. And we had the call about uh, getting perennials in and uh, the importance of getting, you know, pollen nectar, our, our food sources for our pollinating insects. And so many of the new, uh, very attractive, multi-branched sunflowers are uh, pollen-free. Mm. And they promote them as such because if you're going to use them inside for displays, uh, people don't want a lot of pollen around there. But if you got them out there in your in your gardens, you got you're going to plant a pollinator garden. You really want those varieties, the old older fashioned varieties that really have lots of pollen. So uh, you want to be just a little conscious when you're selecting your seed and select those varieties that uh, that do have pollen. The giant the mammoth and the there's one called the Russian mammoth. I stayed away from that just because of the uh, <laughs> the implications. Yeah, the name there. is not good. There is it. No. The name's not good right now. But I did, uh, and both of these are for uh, seed consumption. Mm-hmm. But they're the old fashioned large head varieties. <laughs> the, the plant itself grows, uh, you know, six feet in height. Wow. And uh, they're magnificent. Uh, those floors, the pollinators really love them. We've got some. Also, we've got some oil seed varieties that are real nice. So you want to look for those varieties that have pollen so we get that additional benefit if you got them in your in your pollinator garden now once you so plant them and they grow can you use the seeds again for the following year i assume well you can particularly some of these older varieties ah. uh they're they're uh, what we call open pollinated varieties uh it's some of the newer ones so okay. if, you, if you're going to be planting some of the multi-branched uh, those are hybridized and in many cases uh, you're still probably going to get something mm-hmm. but uh there's no guarantee because we go back to the uh, the original 
lineage and and the way that that splits up so you're not sure what you're going to get with a hybrid when you save the seed but some of the old varieties uh like the giant mammoths and so forth these are going to be you can certainly save that seed uh from year to year uh lots you can do with it and uh they are magnificent sunflowers get their names they point uh well they look like the sun of course but they also point to the east uh and they've got uh a kind of an interesting growing habit when when they're young uh they will actually follow the sun which is a you know a competitive advantage to get yeah. as much sun as they can so the blossom starts in the east and it works its way uh, uh to the west as the sun sets and then in the evening it reverts back to the east but uh that only occurs until the actual stem begins to uh firm up a little bit the plant gets a little older and there's a little more fiber there in the stem then that rotation stops, and they, they they remain in kind of an eastern orientation, in our case, a south-southeastern kind of an orientation. But they're very interesting plants, and, of course, they've become uh, a great source for oil production. And uh, we've got a million acres in North and South Dakota, and uh, that's mainly for oil production. There are a little bit of uh, uh, seed production, uh, but for the most part, it's uh, it's for oil. And in both Russia and Ukraine, which are really are the biggest oil-producing uh, sunflower, it's a, it's a national flower of uh, of Ukraine, and that's mainly because of the oil production that you get from it, used as a good uh, polyunsaturated cooking oil. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in Europe, where they're much closer to the Ukrainian situation, uh, they're well aware that uh, sunflower oil is not going to be uh, available, not to the extent it was in the past. And so they're looking for substitutes, and I understand the price of olive oil has gone through the roof. Oh, that's one of the uh, one of the replacements, and uh, so people are kind of scrambling to make sure they've got the cooking and confectionery oils that they uh, that they really need uh, going forward here, Dave. Yeah, olive oil is not that cheap to begin with. As see the prices go up, it's even uh, it's pretty uh, concerning. <laughs> and of course, uh, that's imported here, so we yeah. anticipated going up here as well. So uh, I'm not too much of a hoarder, nor do I encourage it. But if you're a real uh, olive oil fan, you might want to grab on a little before it goes too much higher. I'm guessing olives are not a crop you're going to find around here. We don't grow many olives, even out in uh, California and so forth. Not not a major crop. That's mainly Portugal, Spain, and the warmer parts of Europe and right. Italy, of course, where it's uh, it's really focused. But I know that um, their prices there have gone gone right through the roof. So. We're okay here, though. We're, uh, once again, very fortunate, and uh, we just need some rain. Uh, we wouldn't need a dry conditions. Uh, Southwest is important, getting that uh, a lot of that irrigation water, but also the Midwest. So we want to – this is one year where we're definitely not, not going to complain if we do get the moisture, and we hopefully we get enough. Dave, as I mentioned a little earlier, I'm going to have to leave because I've got a big program coming up here, but uh, we want to – encourage people to attend either this one or the one down in um, in Duluth on April 23rd. Uh, we guarantee you're going to have a, a lot of education going on there, Dave. Speaking of April 23rd, how do we get uh, tickets? Uh, can we do that in advance? Yeah, you know, you can go just call uh, the St. Louis County Extension Office or look it up under St. Louis County Extension and uh, there's going to be contact information uh, available there for you. Super, and hopefully there'll be spring by the time you have your spring garden in extravaganza. Yeah, we're looking. We, we're really <laughs> looking forward to that day. We've got a lot of great speakers, and uh, the whole concept's going to be developing an eco-friendly, integrated landscape. We're going to look at vegetables, fruits, 
uh, pollinator gardens. Uh, the sunflowers, of course, are going to be a component. We're going to look at annuals and tie it all together with a bee-friendly lawn. So it's uh, it's going to be quite a day for sure. Sunflower theme, our, four, our master gardeners are so helpful in, in working with us on that program, and it's going to be really great. All right, Bob, I know you got to run. Thank you very much. We'll catch you again next Tuesday. You bet, Dave. Thank it's you. the Bob Olin Show here at KDIL 944 now. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.